Father, bless these words to our hearts in Jesus' name. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 3. In verse 8, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So God is walking in the garden and he's calling them. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called Adam and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. In this portion, which took place immediately after they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, this is the follow-up from that. Something happened, and this was totally unforeseen by them. Now at this point, they are operating in self-orientation. And Satan is the one who brought self-orientation through the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because the tree of knowledge of good and evil was, in fact, a tree of self-orientation. In Ezekiel 28.15, when iniquity was found in Lucifer's heart, the iniquity is self-orientation and originated with him. That's why it's his tree. That's why it's his fruit. The trees in the garden in Ezekiel 31 were angels. Yes, they were literal trees. But each tree was associated with an angel. And when they hid among the trees of the garden, when God was calling them. They were already self-oriented. And because they were self-oriented, they became afraid. They were never afraid before. Eve was not even afraid to talk to the serpent. Eve was not afraid to have a discussion about what God had said. It seemed, you could tell, strange to her. Yes, you could tell she was a bit intimidated by it, by her answers. But nevertheless, she wasn't afraid to have that discussion. She should have been. What she didn't realize, because she was completely innocent, had no frame of reference for this whatsoever. So you can't blame her. You can't fault her. But at the same time, what she should have done was say to the devil, the Lord rebuke you. If she had said that, nothing would have happened. But she didn't say it. She entertained the conversation. She entered into the self-orientation that he was trying to draw her into, which was his self-orientation. It's not like there's one type of self-orientation here and another type here. No, it's all the same self-orientation. It came from the devil, it was imparted from the devil to Eve, then to Adam, then to all of humanity. It has the same source, it's the same thing. It's the same self-orientation that took place in Ezekiel 28.15 when Lucifer became Satan. It happened by means of self-orientation. Now, when Satan introduced self-orientation, he introduced fear and he introduced negative emotions. Fear and negative emotions have the same source. They're essentially two parts of one thing. They are rooted in a self-oriented mindset which did not exist until Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In Romans 6.16, the Word of God says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to whom you obey, whether of sin to death or obedience to righteousness? Then in Genesis 3.7, just before they hid themselves, the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves aprons. 
the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which caused them to enter into this self-orientation which caused fear, along with the tree of life, were mechanisms of government. And in this particular case, they were mechanisms of government by means of the prohibition. But they are mechanisms of government. To this day, the tree of knowledge and the tree of life are mechanisms of government. The modern day tree of life is the cross in Galatians 2.20. Life was imparted in the garden eternal life by eating from that tree. That's why God had to get them out of the garden because they would spend eternity in self-oriented separation from God if he didn't do that. He gave them a new tree that promise was given in Genesis 3.15. The new tree of life was the cross and that is the tree that now imparts life that is eternal life. So, the cross is a mechanism of government and the tree of knowledge is still a mechanism of government. It's very important that we understand that because we sometimes have this tendency to hear about the tree of knowledge of good and evil or hear about the cross, especially in a church where it's taught. And we kind of say to ourselves, okay, that was then, this is now, the principles are applicable now, but really, it's not that big a deal. It doesn't really change anything. Okay, my experience might be a little bit tougher. I may have a somewhat different disposition or attitude or what have you, but most people in the end don't really see that it makes a whole lot of difference. Unfortunately, they're extremely mistaken. It makes all the difference. Every bit of difference is in those two trees. Everything that is of God is at the cross. Everything that is really of Satan is at the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We have to be careful not to underestimate the importance of these two trees. These are kingdoms. The tree of knowledge is the entry door into Satan's kingdom. The cross, the modern day tree of life, is the entry point into God's kingdom. Now, in Genesis 3.11, God answered Adam when he said, I was afraid and I hid myself because I was naked. And God said to him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Now, notice that God says who. The word who is me, and it literally means who. And it refers to persons and seeks identity, ancestry, or some external fact about that person. So when God said to him who... He did not say to him why. He did not ask what. He did not ask how. He didn't say why do you know this? What caused you to know this? How did you come about it? No, he said who told you? He wanted them to see that there was a source to this. God already knew of course, but he wanted them to see that there was a source to this and that source was not just the forbidden tree. The tree of knowledge of good and evil has a source. It is Satan's tree. Just like the tree of life has a source, it's the cross of Christ. The tree of knowledge is Satan's tree. When did it come about? In principle, it came about in Ezekiel 28.15. In practicality, it came about when God put the trees in the garden. That principle was not a new principle. The tree of knowledge of good and evil principle 
which is really the same thing as the physical tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden, and now it's a principle once again. That's exactly why one-third of heaven fell. Because after he became self-oriented, in other words, after iniquity entered into his heart, self-orientation entered into his frame of reference, then he started to attack God. Then the rebellion came. Then one-third of the angels were basically duped, tricked. It is astonishing to me today, to be honest with you, that these angels, these demons, are still following Satan because Satan really did mess them up big time. But, nevertheless, they are. That is the same principle at work when people live in iniquity, when people live in self-orientation. Self-orientation is not just that I'm self-centered or that I'm about myself. Self-orientation is a kingdom issue. They became afraid because of self-orientation. That fear was exactly what Satan was after. They became afraid because of self-orientation. Because in that fear, they would separate themselves from God. They entered into the fall, really, by another form of self-orientation, which was wanting. Eve wanted to be as the angels. That's why he said to her, you shall be as gods. It's a small g. It's not deity. It's not capital G. I know some translations, they put in a capital G as though it were the Lord God. No, the word is Elohim, which sometimes is used for the Trinity. It's a plural word. It's usually used for angels. Here it was used for angels. So as Eve did want to be as the angels, she had an element of wanting, but the part that really separated her wasn't the wanting, it was the fear. Adam and Eve hid themselves out of fear, not out of wanting. They fell because of wanting. They ran away from God because of fear. What God was asking him in there when he said this was really, who took rule over you? Before you were governed by the word of God, before you were governed by the things that I gave you, I provided definition for you, I taught you the Bible, I taught you the word of God every single day. Before you were governed by this, who took rule over you? Now, in Ephesians 6.12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Sometimes we think when we enter into fear, when we enter into wanting, when we enter the various components of being self-oriented, we think it's just flesh and blood, or we think we're just dealing with people. Sometimes people perhaps are negative toward you or unkind or whatever, and you think you're dealing with flesh and blood, but the Word of God says you're not dealing with flesh and blood. Stop thinking that you're dealing with flesh and blood. Stop thinking that the problem is the person. Stop thinking that you're the problem. You're not dealing with flesh and blood. Even if you are the source of the problem or somebody else is the source of the problem, even if your thoughts are not correct with God, there's a source to the problem. The incorrect aspects are not the problem. They are the symptoms, the manifestations of the problem. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now, these are categories of demons. We don't deal with people. We're dealing with four categories of demons, and these are the categories that are prevalent on the earth. The first one is principalities, which means the highest ranking demons. The second ones are powers. These are demons that exert authority or influence. An example of these are familiar spirits. 
Familiar spirits come in when somebody refuses to yield to the authority of the Word of God. Now, if I yield to the authority of the Word of God, then I'm protected by God's kingdom. That is His provision to protect me. We live in a battlefield. We were born into this battlefield. This battlefield will exist until Jesus returns to reign for a thousand years. And then, at the end of that period, the last three and a half years, it'll be a battlefield again. And then, the heaven and the earth will pass away. God will create a new heaven and a new earth. By heaven, I mean sky. I don't mean the third heaven, God's abode. There will be a new sky, new universe, new earth. God is going to recreate the whole thing. But until that time, and definitely until Christ returns, we are living in a battlefield. We have to understand that everything is a matter of kingdoms, even what I may consider trivial, even what I may say, well, that's just me. No, not really, it isn't. You don't wrestle against flesh and blood. If I refuse to yield to the Word of God, to categories of doctrine, then I'm refusing the governmental authority of God in my life, and thereby I am entering into Satan's governmental authority by means of familiar spirits. Familiar spirits are demons that influence. Sometimes familiar spirits can even seem friendly or helpful. Well, they'll be friendly and helpful enough so long as they bring you deeper and deeper into Satan's governmental system and farther and farther away from God then they'll seem helpful to you. Familiar spirits are spirits that influence. How do you know if a person has a familiar spirit? Number one, they do not yield to categories of doctrine. They yield to their old sin nature on a consistent basis. Number two, they manifest all of the manifestations of the flesh as given in Galatians 5 just before you read about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, you have the manifestations of the flesh. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is in verse 22. The manifestations of the flesh are the three or four verses before that. If you consistently live in these things, you probably are dealing with familiar spirits as a Christian. Those spirits were invited that's why they can enter. They don't possess you. They don't enter you. As a born-again believer, they cannot. But they are influencing, not possessing, influencing spirits. They are spirits that whisper into your ear and say, Oh, that wasn't nice. They are spirits that say, How dare they? There are spirits that, do you see what everybody's doing against you? They bring things like criticism, self-pity, negativity. Somebody who lives in criticism, somebody who lives in self-pity, somebody who lives in negativity on a consistent basis, I'm sorry, not only is it carnality, you're under the influence of these demonic spirits because you've allowed them in by rejecting categories of doctrine as the governmental principle of your life. In other words, you won't yield the doctrine starting with your thinking and then following it up with your decisions. Plain and simple. You wonder why it's happening? That's why it's happening. Then there are also the rulers of the darkness of this age. Age is time, of this time. In other words, these spirits are going to have nothing to do outside of time. They only function within time, these demons. Earth in time. These are rulers. So this is Satan and his demons who actually rule over his kingdom. These are not just high-ranking demons. High-ranking demons are powerful, but they may be like the Prince of the power of Persia. That was a high-ranking demon who had a great deal of authority. But these guys are the ones who run Satan's kingdom. Not so much earth, but Satan's kingdom. They govern the other demons. 
And then against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, this speaks of demons who carry out malicious acts. You see what's going on today? This attack by Hamas on Israel, for example. That's not just some terrorists attacking because they hate Israel. No, this is someone who is under the direct authority influence of specific demons which carry out malicious acts. Somebody goes out and kills somebody, like what happened in Kansas City the other day. That was the influence of demons who carry out malicious acts. They are in heavenly places. Heavenly places does not mean in God's heaven. Heavenly places is actually speaking about the second heaven, the atmosphere. They are floating around in the atmosphere. That is their abode. That is their place of function. This is where they carry out what they do. It's in the atmosphere. In Isaiah 14.12, God says to Lucifer, Oh, how you are fallen from heaven, Lucifer, son of the morning. Now, this point about son of the morning, he was called son of the morning. That was the title. And also the morning stars Certain angels are called the morning stars. These are specific angels who carry out and help to implement redemption. Lucifer was originally the highest ranking angel. He was a covering cherub. That meant he was one of the top angels. And he was a son of the morning. That means that his function was to help Christ, or this is what he was designed for, to carry out redemption. As such, he was intended to draw people to God. He was intended to draw people's attention to Christ, to bring the mercy and the love of God. This is one of the reasons, perhaps, that he was so effective in heaven against the other angels, taking down one-third of them because he was intended to draw individuals and he effectively drew the angels. He effectively drew Eve. But he became the opposite of the son of the morning. You could say he became the son of darkness because he drew them away from light and into the darkness. In Ezekiel 28.15, he was perfect in all of his ways from the days that he was created until iniquity was found in him, iniquity being self-orientation. The son of the morning, this angel that was meant to draw people into redemption, became self-oriented and started a rebellion. And that rebellion continues. Now, on earth today, that rebellion continues by means of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Its greatest manifestation is wanting and fear. In Psalm 94.20, show the throne of iniquity, which devises evil by the law, have fellowship with you. The throne of iniquity shows us that self-orientation is governmental. Satan's government comes by means of self-orientation. God's government comes by means of God-orientation. A person is God-oriented in their thinking and they will receive the word of God, enter into a new frame of reference through the word of God, have faith responses, not because they're saying so much, oh, the scripture says this, therefore I must do this, but rather because the word of God is in their frame of reference, the frame of reference is the basis of their thinking. They're simply just thinking and making right choices according to what God would have because they have the mind of God to make those choices with. But iniquity is the exact diametric 
opposite within the mind. Iniquity is self-oriented thinking which draws you away from the word of God. Now get this, it draws you into moral light. People think morality is a good thing and certainly morality can save nations and it can preserve freedom. However, it's not spirituality and it's based in human good. The throne of iniquity devises evil by the traditions and expectations and sometimes even uses Things like the Mosaic Law as their basis. All in iniquity, meaning all of it, comes through self-oriented human good. Did you ever wonder why in this age they call good evil and evil good? The Bible said they would. Because it's a human goodness based morality that is not actually anything to do with spirituality or truth, but most often has to do with the emotions. Go to Europe and you'll see this all over the place. They talk about morality, but indeed they have a form of morality, but it's not God's morality. It's a morality based on emotions. It's a morality based on propping up people not in a positive way, but rather propping up people in a human good proposition. God rejects human good because it's sourced outside of God in fallen man operating in self-orientation, albeit at the good side of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Human nature has a strange, curious thing. It has a good side and an evil side because it comes from the same tree, good and evil. In their human nature, people can be very good, even kind. But it's always sourced in self, therefore it's never acceptable to God. Satan would love nothing more than a good, upright world so long as it's separated from God. He's the king at that point. And that's what he's after. Yes, this kind of morality can preserve freedom and it can preserve nations, but it has nothing to do with God. Therefore, it has nothing to do with reality. That human good can just as easily turn into evil. Human good can turn on a dime. Human good, you can look like the sweetest, nicest, most pleasant person and then turn around and be just as wicked as can be. Because it's all the same self-oriented mentality. It has two sides. The throne of iniquity works mischief, devises evil, Satan's government, by means of human good, human morality, human virtue. But in truth, it's a kingdom of fear and of wanting. Because even though this may be the expression, there's always a motivation behind it that's not pure love of God. That's why these very good, kind, upright often people can say, why does God allow evil things? To which I want to ask them, why do you think God allows them? When God created hell for Satan and his fallen angels, and they are the ones who bring evil, why do you think God allows it? When Satan and the fallen angels are going to be relegated for eternity into the lake of fire, why do you think God allows it? What brings you that notion? Because it exists? The fact that it exists doesn't mean that God permits it. 
The fact that it exists means that somebody violated what God said. Why do you think God allows it when he's going to throw them first into hell for a thousand years and then into the lake of fire for eternity? Why do you think God allows it? When Jesus suffered for you, why do you think you're above suffering? Jesus wasn't above suffering and he was God. Why are you above suffering? When he saw value in it and he saw so much value that he says you reign with Christ because you suffer with him, why do you not see value in it? Because God says it has great value. Because it's all about human good. It's about a human perspective void of God based in self-orientation and ultimately about how it makes me feel. And that is the throne of Satan's government. Fear and wanting. Those are the things that Satan uses the most. Fear and wanting. But the more powerful one is fear. Fear is what will draw you away from God. Wanting is what will allow Satan to speak to you. But fear will cause you to hide yourself from God. People who are afraid are always hiding. They're putting on fig leaves. They're always hiding. They may not be hiding physically. Maybe they'll be pretending. Maybe they'll do a lot of spiritual religious talk. Maybe they'll spout scriptures. Maybe they'll be just so in their behavior, squeaky clean. But there's something in their heart where things aren't working. Because the government is wrong. It's very difficult for the person to recognize who is who. You don't try to judge these people. It's just like the parable of the wheat and the tares. Where the workman said, shall we take the tares? And the foreman said, the boss said, no, leave them be. Leave them be. We'll do the harvest, and after we do the harvest, we'll separate them, and then we'll deal with them. For now, just leave them be. So that you don't take any of the wheat with the tares. You can't really tell who's who. A tear looks just like wheat, except it's a weed. But you can't tell the difference. And sometimes we can't tell the difference even in ourselves, are we living in human good or are we living in divine good? Are we living in the mind of Christ or are we living in iniquity? Are we really operating in God's thoughts or are we simply being moral? What are we really doing? And that's one of the reasons why the difficulties come. Because they'll reveal what's really going on in our heart. They'll reveal if I'm yielding to doctrine to be my governmental principles in my life so the throne of grace is the government of my life or am I living in the throne of iniquity while self-orientation is the governing principle in my life. I'm going to be at one or the other. There is no middle ground. There is no fellowship or communion with God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. There is no mixing of light and darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. If I walk away from the light of God's word, I'm walking into darkness. I'll go there for wanting. I'll stay there for fear. In Genesis 18.15, when God told Abraham that he was going to have a son, he was very old, his wife was very old, Sarah overheard the angel of the Lord. This was 
a Christophany. In other words, this was an incident. There were a few of them when Christ appeared to people prior to his coming and his incarnation. But he was speaking to Abraham and he said to Abraham that he would have a son, that his wife would bear a child. And Sarah laughed. And then he said, why does she laugh? And Sarah said, I did not laugh. She denied it, saying, I did not laugh, because she was afraid. This pretense that people put on, she was using that as a fig leaf. She was pretending against the truth. Christianity is not about pretending against the truth. Christianity is about a growing relationship with God. A friendship, a fellowship, a communion with God. It's a relationship. Fig leaves are the appearance of a relationship without actually having one. The appearance of being right with God without actually being right with God. When we hide in some form of human good to cover up our perceived mistakes, problems, issues, uncertainties, doubt, what have you, lack of growth, we're putting on fig leaves. But the thing about them in the garden in Genesis 3-7, they were covering something that did not need to be covered. It was only in their own perceptions and that's how fig leaves work. Fig leaves are really there to fool the person putting on the fig leaves. Because they certainly don't fool God. And often they don't fool anybody else either. But they do fool the person who's trying to use the fig leaves. It's really about making myself seem like I'm right before God, not actually taking into account, am I right before God? Am I living in the government of grace? Am I living under the authority of the word of God? Or do I just want to look like it? It's only fooling the one with the fig leaves. Never fear. Never be afraid. Remember, fear is the manifestation of Satan's kingdom. Never be afraid. The word of God says in Proverbs 29.25, the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. It's set up to trip you up. But whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Now, in order to put my trust in the Lord, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I have to trust in the Lord with all my heart and not lean on my own understanding. And then for my decisions, I acknowledge Him in all my ways and He directs my path. Then, and only then, am I putting my trust in the Lord when I'm not leaning on my own understanding and I'm acknowledging him for my decisions. That's where I'm protected. I'm not protected if I'm relying on my own ways, on my own thoughts, on my own understanding, because that's self-orientation, that's the wrong kingdom. If I don't acknowledge him in all my ways, I'm not protected, because God will allow me to make my choices, and if I desire to make those choices from the Wrong kingdom is my source. He'll permit me to do so for a season. But only for a season. But then there's also another fear. In Second Samuel 1.14, David said to the young man, and this is a young man who came to David, he was an Amalekite, and he claimed falsely that he killed Saul. Because Saul was trying to kill David. 
When Saul went to battle against the Philistines, he was killed in the battle. He was mortally wounded. And though he was not killed instantly, he committed suicide by falling on his sword. But this Amalekite came to David trying to ingratiate himself, knowing that Saul was trying to kill David, that David was loyal to Saul, but still Saul was paranoid because of demons. And he was trying to kill David. And so this Amalekite tried to ingratiate himself. And he said to him, I killed your enemy. I killed Saul. He was wounded. He asked me to kill him, so I killed him. He said, I can't survive this. I don't want to fall in the hands of the Philistines, so I killed him. He didn't. He lied. But David responded like this. How was it that you are not afraid to put forth your hand and destroy the Lord's anointed? David was afraid to do that. As a matter of fact, when David had the opportunity and he, he found Saul in a cave when he was indisposed and his garment, his robe was hanging down, he cut off an edge of his garment so that he could show Saul, look, I had the opportunity and I wouldn't kill you. And his heart convicted him. Because he was dealing with God's anointed. David was protected from huge mistakes. He wasn't protected from the lust that he had entered into. He wasn't protected from the mistakes that were his personal sin. But he was protected from the massive kingdom mistakes. Which would have utterly destroyed him. By the fear of the Lord. So David who was being pursued to be killed for many years. And this guy comes in. I killed him and David wouldn't. There wasn't a lot of sympathy there. There wasn't a whole lot of appreciation for that. Much to the Amalekites surprise. How is it that you are not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed. You know, people can say this today. So many people enter into criticism, into accusation, into negativity against other believers. So many people will rail against other believers or perhaps gossip or slander or malign them when God says specifically not to. How is it that you are not afraid to put your hand against the Lord's anointed? How is it that you're not afraid? How is it that you have no fear of the Lord here? You see, this is the proper fear. Yes, we are to have certain fear. This is the proper fear. And so David had one of his young men execute the guy right there and then. Because his own mouth testified against him. And David was right. On the other hand, in 2 Samuel 6, 9, David was afraid that day when the ark was coming home on the cart and Uzzah stretched out his hand to steady the ark because it looked like it was going to fall off the cart and so Uzzah grabs it and God killed Uzzah. Because the ark was the presence of God and Uzzah didn't trust the presence of God. You don't take care of the presence of God. The presence of God takes care of you. And when David saw that, he was afraid of the Lord. And said, how am I going to get the ark back home? See, this fear made David say, how do I do this right? That's what it led to. How do I do this right? And they left the ark at the house of Obed-Edom until they figured it out and then they read in the word of God, no, this has to be done by Levites on shoulders, not by oxen on a cart. The word of God tells us in Proverbs 9.10 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of man is a snare. Fear of God is wisdom. But in 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love. Because perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. But he who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, there is no fear in love because in Romans 5.8, in the original language, we are made to be one with the love of God. This is our position, Ephesians 2.15 and 16, as the one new man with Christ. We are one person with him. We are his body in 1 Corinthians 12.27. Because I am one with my Savior, if this is my life, if this is my mindset, if this is my frame of reference, then there's no fear. Because nothing can touch me when I'm in the correct government recognizing who I actually am, that I am one person with Christ. Now, if I refuse that government, then essentially I'm crucifying Christ again and Christ is dead to me. And then I have no protection from anything or anyone. But if I am living in the governmental authority of the word of God, in other words, I apply doctrine in the details of my life. I apply what the word of God says, what God's mind is for every detail of my life. I apply it. I do it. I use it. I consider with it. I decide on the basis of it then I'm living in the oneness that I have with God and I am one with the love of God. There's no fear there at all. I don't even need reverence from the standpoint that I already have the mind of Christ through my oneness with God and the word of God in my frame of reference. I don't need to be convinced. I don't need to be coaxed. I don't need to bring myself because of any outward pressure into that government, I'm already in that government by being drawn by the love of God in Jeremiah 31.3 into the mind of Christ, thereby into my oneness with him. And there's no problem whatsoever. I'm living in the fullness of the tree of life. In Romans 8.15, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. You're adopted. You are the Son of God. You are one person with Christ. There's no fear in there. There's no spirit. And fear is brought by a demonic spirit. There is no spirit that can make you fear. When you're living in the fullness of the oneness that you have with Christ. In Matthew 14.27, Jesus said to his disciples when he was walking in the midst of the storm and they saw him and they thought it was a ghost and they were sorely afraid. He said, be of good cheer. It's me. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now fear has two levels, two orientations. It has a horizontal level and a vertical level. Horizontal level fear is the fruit of iniquity. But vertically based fear is wisdom. And it results from my oneness with Christ. And that is not a fear where I'm afraid. That's actually a fear where I'm extremely confident because I have the character of God. I would be afraid to leave it, but not to approach it. Adam 
was afraid to approach, but not afraid to leave. Horizontal fear is what Satan loves because it's the manifestation of his kingdom and it's the outcome of iniquity. Self-orientation. He hates vertical fear because he can't touch you in your oneness with the Savior. Romans 6.14 Sin will not have dominion over you. There is no governmental authority or power in sin over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. Those are the two governments, mischief by the law at the throne of iniquity, or the throne of grace, where you find mercy and help in time of need. But God be thanked that you were once servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart, obeyed, brought yourself under the authority from the heart, that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. You obeyed doctrine and you became a servant. You entered into the government of grace. Before you did not obey doctrine, in Romans 14.23 you were in sin and you were under the government of Satan. But then you received doctrine and you obeyed it and you entered into the government of grace. And you found hope there, you found love there, you found joy there. You found expectation, you found confidence, you found all your provisions, you found everything you need for your need. You found the fullness of life there. What you didn't find there, however, and you never will, was fear. No one is afraid when they're under the government of grace. Because the life of God is being manifested. The oneness of the one you man is your experience under the government of grace. And there you will not find fear. Amen? If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior and you don't know where you're going to go when you die, simply pray Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I receive you as my Savior. Thank you for loving me so much that you died for me so I can have eternal life with you. Amen.